Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hi, and welcome to the future of XYZ. Today, I couldn't be more geeked out excited to have Renee Wynn uh, on joining me. We're going to be talking about the future of the space economy. Uh, Renee knows a lot about it and has expertise in this as the very recently retired chief information officer at NASA. For NASA, all of it. So when we speak about space, uh, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Renee, welcome to the show. And I think you were there for a while. So you've seen a lot. Hi there, Lisa. It's great to be part of this. And yes, I was part of the development of the commercial crew program, but I wasn't there for the entire part. I had almost five years with NASA and a fabulous seat at a lot of things that were going on to put into place what I think is now the the next space economy, which definitely is in the growth mode. And we got to watch this past Sunday, another launch from the historic commercial crew program. But when we get going, we can talk a little bit about the commercial crew program and what that means for the United States and what it means for our international partners. Well, I love that. I mean, that's it's like we, we, we're going to end up full circle, I have a feeling, because I really want to know about the international partnership piece. And I mean, the reason we're doing this this week and, and, and pulled it forward is because I think it's so interesting what happened on Sunday. And I think they're supposed to dock tonight, or maybe I'm mistaken with the International Space Station. But I mean, the fact that we are since July 2011, essentially, when we, you know, Atlantis arrived back, we as Americans haven't had our own shuttle, right? Like we're, we are outsourcing our, our, our space program in some degree. Is it, what, what does the future look like? What does the present look like more importantly? Yeah, so NASA has had a number of errors with regard to space travel. A lot of us remember, and some of us were alive then, for what we call the Apollo era, right? This was breaking ground humans in space and Soviet Union uh, was a bit of a race with them uh, in terms of who was gonna get uh, to boots to moon first. Then we shifted into our shuttle era and uh, that was the use of the shuttle back and forth from the International Space Station. This year, International Space Station is celebrating its 20th, 20th birthday. Right? And International Space Station requires somebody to be on it all the time. So. When you talked about the outsourcing, we went from the space shuttle program, which as you noted, uh, closed. And then we turned over and we bought seats in Russia on the Soyuz launches in that. And I myself was privileged enough to get to spend two weeks between Moscow and Kazakhstan to watch a launch of two American astronauts up to the International Space Station. so cool. I have chills just thinking about it was great. Um, yeah, when I came back, I ended up with another suitcase because I did go shopping because I wasn't sure uh, if I was going to be how soon I would circle back to any of the places I got to visit on that trip. And of course, now that we're not traveling at all, other than to the grocery store, um, I'm really glad I bought a number of Christmas presents that year for everybody that, that commemorates that visit there. Um, and actually, it's funny I'm mentioning that I got to go there because Victor 
uh, who was uh, on this recent launch. He was one of the escorts to the astronaut families uh, for that particular launch. So I did get to know Victor quite a bit, um, as well as Doug Wheeler Wheels. Actually, Doug and I had been on a stage together for a space act, I'm sorry, a space apps challenge. Um, and so, yeah, we shared the stage. It was kind of him to share the stage with me. I'm not an astronaut. Uh, in that respect. So it was great to see Victor launch and safely get to space station already. Yep. And so now what I'm talking about right now is the commercial crew era. And that is the era in where we are launching uh, from United States soil, the use of purchased still, we purchased seats in Russia, but we are still purchasing those seats through uh, SpaceX and Boeing, the other commercial crew who will be looking for their first launch here in the near future. So SpaceX has had a demonstration launch that they had that back in May. And then we've had four crew, including a Japanese astronaut uh, rode on the trip up. So uh, folks got there safely, which is always good to hear. And, uh, you know, it's a purchase service. So, uh, you know, yay to NASA and SpaceX for that success. They make it look easy and it isn't easy. Let it me tell isn't. You. I, I think I mentioned to you that, I mean, this is something I am so interested in. I got a tour with an engineer who's a family friend or actually a friend of a family of a friend um, who is an engineer at SpaceX. And I got to walk in that control room mm -hmm. and see the 3D printers and see some of these modules. I mean, and you realize the mathematics that go into it, the engineering that goes into it. I mean, it's quite remarkable. I mean, you, I think back to 1969, when man first walked on the moon, when American, you know, as you said, the, the race with Russia was so profound. I mean, between then and then Challenger, which was a, obviously momentous for all of us and for myself, mm -hmm. and then moving to 2011, and now today, like it feels in some ways like 69 was the future then, right? And we're already living in it. And now it's slowly slowed down. Are we now accelerating towards like this future again? Or is this like a new era of space that we're, we can be super excited about? Well, I look at it as a new era of space for everybody to get super excited about. And let's talk about that just a little bit here. So what you have is now, um, in addition to SpaceX and Commercial Crew and Boeing, NASA also uh, did a, a big evaluation and assessment and in support of Congress because NASA is a publicly funded institution. Uh, and in that, they looked at what's called low earth orbit commercialization and set out the policies associated with LEO is what we call it, LEO commercialization and NASA's policy uh, in, in our interim directive is on the nasa.gov website and it talks specifically about the use of International Space Station in a different capacity than it has been used historically, which is a great announcement on her 20th birthday. So prior to this policy opening up low earth orbit commercialization using space station, is, just to interject for a second, is low, uh, you said low Earth orbit, is that like Virgin Galactica? Is that that stuff? Largely, uh, yes. But I didn't memorize my, my miles to tell you where the end of low Earth orbit is when you're in cislunar 
and when you're doing deep space exploration. So for everybody else, they just need to Google all of that uh, and, and find out where the maximum piece of low Earth orbit is. The idea is International Space Station is considered a national lab. So just like you have Department of Energy national labs here on terra firma, International Space Station is a lab. And it has largely been used for the benefit of science and to put something on orbit was a scientific experiment. Um, and since it's a limited resource, right? The lab is only so big, there's limited crew time, limited payload the, about up mass and down mass, basically back and forth from the space station in this one. And so you had limits. Yeah. And now that they've opened up the pie uh, and to now this commercialization, you are seeing all sorts of opportunities come to fruition. I'm very excited about that. There are a couple of Pathfinder opportunities for International Space Station going on right now, and those will soon be announced. Um, in, and it also opens up the opportunity potentially for private astronauts to uh, pay their way um, up to International Space Station. But that's not the only place for commercialization is in the International Space Station. You have satellites. Satellites are now more uh, cost accessible. You mentioned 3D printers. Uh, there's a 3D, there's a business that does 3D printers for pieces of rocket engines. There's 3D printing that goes on all in the rocket manufacturing and in the satellite manufacturing. So by putting on 3D printer, uh, you're now making things more accessible. Yes, you do need some capital associated with it. You have school children able to construct satellites to be launched off of International Space Station, which happened a couple of years ago, in order to bring data back to terra firma for use, for science, for weather, for business, logistics, our Amazon packages. All of it. Exactly. I, I think I read somewhere, and I, I guess this is opening it up too, because satellites is a fascinating business, but I'm also like, I think about sustainability, and I'm like, I mean, I think I heard something that there's like, it's called space debris or space waste yes. or something like yep. this, right? And there's thousands and thousands of satellites over the history because they don't leave the gravitational pull of the earth, right? Right, right. Absolutely. And there is space debris. And yes, it, it can be a danger. So back to International Space Station, um, as of my last look, International Space Station had to maneuver to stay at a safe distance to some space debris in this past year. Um, so last count I had, because I'm not with NASA anymore, was four times. And so when I say safe distance, I mean, it, it's a far distance. So NASA works on, you know, probability, statistics, safety. Uh, safety is a number one uh, driver at NASA and it always been. And in so this instance, they, they make sure you stay at the uh, safe distance to this one. It's not a near miss like you might've seen in some of the movies or <laughs> anything like that. It's just keeping a national treasure at a safe distance. And for those folks that are on it, making sure that they stay safe for themselves and their families as well. So you, as you talk about it, yes, there's more satellites going up for different purposes. Uh, more countries are entering in the race because they can buy a ride um, off of uh, SpaceX. They can buy a ride off of other rockets located across the globe for the French space agency, CNES, you know, again, you can launch um, launch off of their stuff as well. So lots of people can launch that is, but it is limited 
but because you now have more of that capacity, you increase the payload capability, which now opens, you know, opens everyone's mind to make science fiction become fact every day. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I, what is it? It's not colonized Mars. What is, what is Elon Musk, like all the guys at SpaceX wear, like they're, you know? You know, they do, they do. And you know, Mars is in a different environment in and of itself. So we are talking about the space economy and NASA is uh, leading the way on what's called the Artemis program and the Gateway program, Artemis named after Apollo's twin. Um, her, she is designed so that we can definitely imagine finally uh, female boots on the moon. We love uh, that. <laughs> yes, we do love that. But Gateway and the uh, proposal for Artemis program and its multi-phases is an opportunity for partnership. It's an opportunity for businesses. It's an opportunity to discover and invent um, associated with what can happen in space. So yes, that's the space economy. But Lisa, one of the things I want to do is remind folks that NASA offers a number of challenges to invent things that might be needed for a space uh, mission. Many of that doesn't get chosen, but lots of that not chosen necessarily for NASA gets plowed into the current global economy to advance uh, humanity. Yeah. One beautiful example is, so those astronaut suits, they've got some temperature to them. <laughs> and when you go outside on an EVA, extravehicular activity, it's also a harsh environment out there. So we want to keep our astronauts safe comfortable and operational in that well those suits you've got to deal that with that look really cool i have to say they do look really cool and they can be really hot <laughs> um, exactly and so back in the um, 80s or 90s there was a competition for inventing methodology and materials to keep the spacesuits the right temperature right depending upon the environment that you're in well some of that technology was successful but not selected there's one company that then turned around and used that technology, the cooling aspect of it. And in developing nations, childbirth um, at the time was still very, um, at a high mortality rate, both for the moms as well as the children. And those, those cooling, uh, those suits were used in the birth process to manage the temperature because keeping temperatures cool um, in or after, during or after that process, increased your, um, increased the ability for saving um, mom and or child by together. By and regulating temperature. Exactly. And um, wow. so a lot of the technology invented for the benefit of space exploration is actually plowed in for the benefit of humanity across the entire globe. More information for your listeners can be got, uh, can be uh, retrieved off of spinoff.com. Uh, oh, cool. NASA does a, an annual publication, but it's now electronic. I'm just so telling basically, people. Basically, when we're thinking about the space economy and the future of the space economy, there's what's happening in space, Yeah. right? Which we've talked about, obviously, ISS is the International Space Station, satellites, commercial flight. Um, I'm sure there's some others, but like, 
from a supply chain perspective, from a cybersecurity perspective, like, I mean, it's kind of mind boggling. And you've just talked about these things that like are developed for space, but not selected and they can go into other, other technologies because they're pretty advanced. What, what does this future look like of the space economy that's like not just about the space economy, but about everything that goes around it? Oh, Lisa, I really appreciate you asking that one, right? Because with everything, you know, you pull into a town and you say, okay, there's doctors, lawyers, insurance agents, grocery clerks, all of the town focuses on this piece of the economy. And then there's this other piece of the economy that other people support that. So supporting this, oh, cybersecurity and space, that's where I got to spend. That's where I got to do a lot of learning. And I got to spend a lot of time and have a number of briefings associated with it. And the supply chain risk that I'm talking about is cybersecurity supply chain risk and ensuring that the sensors that are used on these missions or used in the development of the missions, right, um, your testing and, and all of that remain secure. Uh, and that there's no agent put in them that could be lit up just like this and cause harm. Um, wow. or Keep control. We've all heard about ransomware in terms of taking control of our computer. The Internet of Things can be taken control of, right? And that would be terrifying if you're in space or if you're on a you know mission that is so, as you said, I mean, even think about space debris, right? Like you're trying to keep a safe distance. If you can't control that at a micro level, like it's very scary. It, it is absolutely. And cybersecurity in space, we used to rely on space just being far away and being a harsh environment in and of itself and everything will be fine. Um, but uh, nation states and our hackers have gotten a lot smarter and a lot better. Um, and NASA's information is public. Yeah. And so there's, you know, it, a curious mind can really start to do a lot of research and come up with ways uh, to make, uh, I think, make viable threats towards the United States or from any country that ha has what I call flying assets. And that one, and it comes from the sensors, it comes from the hardware, and it comes from that the software. And you've got to take a look at before you use it, you know, is there any executable in there that could light up and create harm? Then you get pull the whole thing together and you've got to deal with your communication back to terra firma and you've got to make sure that your communication is at the right security level in order to ensure that the data you're moving up and down are the data you intend to move up and down uh, in that and 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 do that so this is a new area so it's another growth area for any Absolutely. business to get into it and that is insourced within NASA, or is that outsourced with partners or is that a um, cross collaboration of all these different space agencies internationally? So space is done in cross collaboration, both internationally, as well as with different businesses. Yeah. Um, I worked with a number of private firms that were working with NASA in terms of understanding their cybersecurity posture, because our interconnectedness could have been, as I said, well, it's could be my congressional hearing. So I want to understand this before I say anything about what could happen with it. So um, NASA and space is, um, it's an equal playing field. It is an opportunity for businesses and countries to work together to discover science, to answer the question, you know, the beginning of man, the beginning of earth. Could we- um, What else is out there? Exactly. Are there other Earth-like planets out there? What do we know about Mars uh, that would be important to get 
you know, would be important just for our education and expansion of our knowledge uh, and all of that. So you want, you want to make sure the data you're using to write your scientific paper is actually the data that came down from all of those flying assets, as I call them. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm watching time, which is a serious bummer because I try to keep these to <laughs> under 20 minutes so that people can quickly digest them. But this is like a mind boggling topic. So I'm going to come back to original kind of thought. The topic of this is future of XYZ and the XYZ here is the space economy. I have no conception of what the future of from a time horizon looks like. Like when you're talking about the space economy and the future of it, like what is the time horizon that we're thinking? In my mind, I think of it as sort of about a five to 15 year horizon. And so we're in that now with the, with the success of the commercial crew program, SpaceX has had the two launches. We're bringing launch back to the United States. So that in and of itself is feeding this space economy for the United States and, and other uh, other partners. Another thing to think about is uh, sample return. Japan and the United States have uh, landed on asteroids to take a sample from those asteroids and bring those samples back to terra firma, back to Japan and back to the United States. That sample return is a pathfinder to thinking about and strategizing about space mining. What, what happens next? Exactly. That's what Pathfinder is. I mean, these are such great words. I walked in, I was like, what do you mean by that? And I then was, I found out that earlier meeting. and I didn't dare ask Renee. I was, yeah. like, I, I was like, that sounds like internal speak, but it's not. It's like programs that figure out how you kind of- Exactly. How do you imagine the hard to imagine is you do it in bite-sized pieces. So as we close, the space economy grows in pieces five to 15 years, you know, there's a bunch of economists that study this stuff for that. They could parse my years and say it's this much or this much. Long and short of it is we're in it now and it's filled with opportunity. But to bring it back just to for everybody, I think who needs some hope right now and they need to know the future is bright because I think the brightness of our future is pretty bright. It doesn't feel like it some days. But I would say is if you can imagine it, and you want it, then break it down into bite-sized pieces and into small steps. And then it makes it easier for you to make it happen. I, I, I love that. I, I love it so much. And I, I can't thank you enough for joining me and our listeners today, Renee. I mean, what, what a treat and an honor. So thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for all your work. And I can't wait to see how you're going to be involved in this. As we go forward. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much. It was an absolute treat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.